Highland Falls, El Paso, Clarksville, Watertown, and from other important military capitals around the globe. Eye on Defense brings the top military and defense issues into focus. Eye on Defense is proudly sponsored by Big Sarge Pre-Owned TA-50 Emporium and The Last Hope Jewelry and Pawn. And now, citizens of Earth, brace yourselves for the next episode of Eye on Defense. Defense, 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 defense. All right, we're back, everybody. It's uh, episode 112, and today is 8 April, <clears throat> evening of 8 April. And we'll get started right away. Not too many stories tonight, only eight. Uh, we're going to start off in Finland. Uh, two stories from Finland, back to back. Uh, the first one's from Defense News. Uh, uh, Seth J. Fransman. And, yep, Defense News. Finland to buy Israel's David's Sling Air Defense System. Uh, from 7 April, which was yesterday. The Finnish Ministry of Defense. Of course, you know, Finland is now... Before I get started, Finland is now part of NATO. Uh, we've been kind of following that, like as the whole world has. And then Sweden couldn't join because of some heat with, uh, I guess, Turkey. But uh, anyway, Finland's good to go, and they're part of NATO. So we'll get started. The Finnish Ministry of Defense plans to buy David's Sling Air Defense System in a U.S. $345 million deal announced just one day after Finland joined NATO. Finland's Ministry of Defense said it authorized the Finnish Defense Force to procure David's Sling System as the next long-range air defense system of Finland. David's Sling was developed as part of a joint program between Israel's Missile Defense Organization and the United States Missile Defense Agency with Israel's Rafael Advanced Defense System serving as a prime contractor. This will be the first export of David Sling System the system is designed to intercept advanced aerial threats, including ballistic missiles, aircraft, UAVs, cruise missiles, uh, the in Israel's Ministry of Defense said in a statement. According to the statement, the procurement process took several years and it was a competitive process. Finland said the system will extend the operational range of Finland's ground-based air defense capabilities significantly. The minimum flight altitude requirement for the system was set at 15,000 meters in the request for quotation, the Finnish Ministry of Defense said, and the Minister of Defense for Finland added in a statement that the acquisition will create a new capability for the Finnish Defense Forces to intercept targets at high altitude. The agreement with Israel includes interceptors, launchers, and radars, and while Rafael is a prime contractor, the agreement involves work with a subsidiary regarding the multi-mission radar for the system, including Elbit, which makes a command and control system. Finland's statement noted that the main contract is worth 213, 213 million euros and includes an immediate exercise of options for another 103 million. The contract also includes other unspecified options for 216 million, 216 million euro. So that's the first one. And we'll jump on the second one here in just a second. Okay, here's the second one. This is from Breaking Defense. Uh, from Andrew Aaron Mehta on 7 April yesterday. Uh, Finnish naval officer talks to NATO expectations, uh, Russia's conduct at sea, and Ukraine's conflict's future. As Commodore uh, Antaronin, the chief of staff for the Finnish Navy, talked with Breaking Defense at this week's Sea Airspace Symposium outside Washington. 
Here we get right to the article. So this week, NATO officially welcomed Finland as its 31st member. What seemed unlikely, if not impossible, just a year ago became official. Now questions turn from what happened if Finland joins NATO to how will fin- Finland integrate with the new alliance. So they, this uh, breaking defense, they talk with uh, this Commodore Antaronin, chief of staff of the Finnish Navy. He appeared on a panel alongside colleagues from Germany, Poland, and Sweden at this year's Navy's League Sea Airspace Conference, I guess right outside D.C. And then he sat down with breaking defense, and they had him some interviews, questions, and Let's see, there's like five or six questions. Not too many. And I did cut some of it out because, you know, we can't sit here all day and do it. So I'll go over some of the questions and kind of cut to the chase on some of the answers. I can't, there's like five or six. So first question is, uh, from where you sit as a naval operator, what changes do you anticipate now that you're joining the NATO alliance? What might change? And the Commodore, <clears throat> I think he's a, did I say Commodore? Yep, Commodore. He said, despite the coming membership, our Navy's mission has, of course, has been to defend Finland in a time of crisis. Article 3 of NATO, in a way, dictates or obliges us. We have to take care of our national defense, and our Navy has been, in a way, designed, developed, and also the tactics have been, in a way, optimized to meet those requirements. Uh, We are optimized for our geography, which uh, has shallow waters and a lot of shoals, 40,000 islands. The average depth of the archipelago sea is 23 meters, less than 50 meters to the Gulf of Finland. It's too early to say what really requirements will will come from NATO. Uh, But still, as I said, the biggest contribution to NATO is to take care of our own land and our own environment. I guess the baseline is once again, it is to be seen in which way we are tasked by NATO But as you know, the requirements are basically based upon your GDP, your number, and the number of people in your country, et cetera, et cetera, plus also the existing force. So I would not like to predict dramatic change, at least in the short term. Uh, Next question. During the panel, you mentioned unmanned a few times. Is that an area you think you can bring something new to NATO? And his answer is we have advanced unmanned systems within the Navy, especially in the area of mind countermeasures and then of course there's nowadays there's a lot of small let's say tactical unit level unmanned drones there's also long-lasting sea surveillance intelligence capabilities and of course increased number of advanced underwater underwater manned systems but to me it's a bit early it's too early to speak about surface units Uh, so that's what we can bring to the table basically is the answer uh, next question, you talked on the panel about maritime information sharing and how you have long-standing agreements with Sweden. I'm wondering how might that be impacted as you join NATO, given that Sweden, at least for now, is not part of the alliance. Um, and basically, is that going to suffer with you and the alliance and Sweden on the outside? And the answer is no. No, 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 definitely not. So within NATO now, there are many bilateral, multilateral arrangements and regional agreements. And our point of view is that these battle bilateral and multilateral arrangements are not dead. So basically, I'm answering for him. So there's nothing's going to change. Uh, moving on, over the here's the next question. Over the last year, we've seen a lot of reports about unsafe interactions between Russian forces and those from the United States, including most notably downing a U.S. drone last month. Have you seen anything like that from Finland's neighbor in, in, naval interactions with Russian forces? 
And here's the answer on a tactical level. I would say that on average, generally, they've acted professionally and in accordance with their code of conduct, how professionals act. And from our perspective, we haven't in the way, for example, seen any increase in territorial integrity violations by Russians. So they purposely have not tried to discredit or harass or somehow provoke us. Uh, let's see. We heard your German colleague on the panel say he's convinced Russian Navy will come out of the war stronger than at the start of it. Do you agree with that assessment? And the answer is eventually, I would say that it's too early to tell, to say how these will in a way evolve. What is the time frame? How Russia, their national resources, I mean their national assets, they resort funds. How can they in a way keep up the naval program, building programs that they have had? Can they boost them up? Can What really do they have the technology? Are there some import bans or embargoes that hurt their ability to build ships? So that's what I mean by eventually. Now, just so you know, I'm only really cutting to the chase of these answers. So if you want to read the article, definitely go to the, art, uh, go to the article, check it out. Uh, back to it. So the Ukraine conflict largely has been contained on to a land conflict. Do you foresee it slipping out of, out of the waters, out into the waters in a more direct way? And the answer is, of course, the main events take place somewhere in Donbass or wherever the front line is, and the whole world is focusing there. But still, you can read it from public sources. Russia has employed and launched long-range weapon systems regularly from the Black Sea. Of course, it's not a major theater of war. It's the sidelines. But there are implications about the second or third degree effects. As you know, sea lines of communications are vital for Ukraine to have that grain and sunflower oil shipped out. So that's kind of perhaps food for thought rather than giving you direct answers. And last question. Uh, let me put it this way. Do you foresee direct conflict between Russia and Ukraine on the water in the near future? Answer is hard to say. Hard to say it hasn't happened. What are really the kind of capabilities Ukraine possesses that they can in a way, challenge the Russians. What happened to the Moskava? It was, of course, launched from the land. So it's not symmetric naval situation. Really, there is no parity. So I kind of cut to the chase on a lot of these Q&A. So if you really want to dive into it, it's from Aaron Mehta, 7 April, Breaking Defense. Uh, the title is Finnish Naval Officer Talks NATO Expectations, Russia's Conduct at Sea, and Ukraine's Ukraine conflict's future. All right, next story. Uh, I guess we'll go to uh, UK story next. Let me pull it up right here. Let me pause just one second. You know, I changed my mind. I'm not going to go to the UK just yet. It'll go, I'll go after this one. <clears throat> this next story is from USNI, uh, dated 6 April. Uh, Mahad, Mahad Zar, I can never say his name. He's a, a great writer for USNI. I've done a lot of his stories. Um, this one's called China Deploys Aircraft Carrier Strike Group off Taiwan's Coast. Since we're just talking about uh, naval stuff, we we'll, might as well stick with a naval theme, a naval domain, so to speak, and go to this one. Um, I always go to USNI for my naval stories, pretty much, and they have good Marine Corps stories, too. Anything that's going on in the Indo-Pacific, they seem to cover. So China deploys aircraft carrier strike group off Taiwan's east coast. And here's the article. China deployed an aircraft carrier strike group off Taiwan's east coast. Military officials in Taipei and Tokyo confirmed Thursday. 
the People's Liberation Army Navy Shandong Carrier Group, Carrier Strike Group, Deployment began Wednesday, the same day Taiwan's president met with U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy in California. The carrier strike group is now operating off Taiwan's east coast after transiting the Bashi Channel on Wednesday in its first training voyage in the Western Pacific. Uh, CSN Shandong Shandong embarked its air wing and and its escorts passed through the southeastern waters of Taiwan to start its first training voyage in the Western Pacific. Uh, this is from Taiwan's Ministry of National Defense. They said it on Wednesday. The release added that both sea and, and air units, along with the ground-based radars, detected and monitored the group's movement. The Joint Staff Office of Japan's Ministry of Defense said Shandong was accompanied by the frigate CNS-573 and fleet oiler CNS-905. They were sighted by the Japan's Maritime Self-Defense Force on Wednesday. Uh, these ships traveled eastward in an area 186 miles south of Hataruma Island. The Japanese guided missile destroyer JSDD-157 shadowed the ships. Taiwan's defense minister on Thursday said the carrier was currently 200 nautical miles off Taiwan's east coast and no aircraft had been seen taking off from it. And there is a a quote from from China, and here it is: We firmly oppose all forms of official interaction between the United States and Taiwan, and any visit by the leader of Taiwan authorities to the United States in any name or under whatever pretext. And this is a Thursday statement from the China's Ministry of National Defense. Uh, we firmly oppose the United States side contact with the Democratic Progressive Party. Authorities in any form which violates a one-China principle and the provisions of the three China-U.S. joint communiques. The People's Liberation Army of China will stand by its responsibility mission and always keep on high alert. The PLA resultly safeguard China's sovereignty and territory integrity as well as peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait, uh, according to the release. So there you go. That was kind of a Navy story. And while I'm on that, you'll see the next story, kind of related, is, you know, why there's so much interest in China and in the Pacific. Let me pull it up. And here it is. It's from Defense Post. Pentagon wants to ramp up ship-killing missile procurement uh, from 6 April. Defense Post, a great site, like it a lot. So the U.S. military is considering ramping up procurement of long-range missiles from next year, seeking to double the combined annual acquisition of long-range anti-ship missiles, LRASM, and joint air-to-surface standoff missile, JSSM, from 500 to 1,000. In addition, the Navy is mulling increase of yearly procurement of Tomahawk cruise missiles sixfold. Uh, Lockheed is, o- is opening up a second production line to meet the missile's increased demand, incorporating increased automation and other improvements over the original facility. Uh, the long-range anti-ship missile and the joint air-to-surface standoff missile uh, share several common components and are made on the same production line. In addition, Lockheed is exploring integrating the LRASM with U.S. military aircraft such as uh, F-35 and the Navy's P-8s Poseidon, 
The missile is currently outfitted with the U.S. Air Force's B-1 Lancer bomber and the Navy's F-18. The company is also exploring using HIMARS to launch to launch the LRASM that could strike a target up to 230 miles away. The ramp-up is geared toward the Pentagon's plan of en enhancing its ship-killing capacity as part of its shift toward the Pacific. According to Air and Space Forces magazine, War Games confirmed that munitions utility in countering Chinese invasion of Taiwan. However, they also showed the missile's fast depletion during this conflict, during the conflict. And here's a statement from Senator for a New American Security, Stacey Pettyjohn. I think one of the most glaring gaps in our portfolio is anti-ship weapons, especially air launch ones. And particularly important since it gives the ability to attack from standoff. For decades, we've gotten out of the ship killing business. You actually have to invest resources in it. I mean, you know, we just did that story on Pacific and uh, aircraft carrier and Taiwan. And then totally related. Like I, I think I said this before, all this stuff is related, you know. It's all related. So now, you know, the United States is investing in long-range anti-ship missiles. And they want to put this sucker on a high Mars. I mean, in fact, if you look at the Marine Corps, what are these Marine Latour regiments? Uh, three of them, right? That's the division. Just, you know, small groups of lethal Marines running around with anti-ship missiles. All right, so while we're on, still in the Pacific, this is from JointForce.com from 3 April. Uh, it's an exercise in South Korea with the Royal, uh, UK's Royal Marines. Uh, UK reinforces commitment to the Indo-Pacific as the Royal Marines deployed to South Korea for the first time since the Korean War. Royal Marines deployed to the Korean Peninsula for the first time since the Korean War to underscore bonds between long-standing allies during large-scale large exercises. Nearly 6,000 miles from their Somerset home, Taunton Base, Bravo Company of the 40th Commando, were involved in training in crisis response, disaster relief, amphibious landings, and coastal defense alongside the Republic of Korea Marine Corps and the United States Marine Corps. The exercise comes ahead of further developments, I'm sorry, the exercise comes ahead of further deployments of Royal Marines across the Indo-Pacific region, including exercises in Australia this summer. This year marks the 70th anniversary since the end of the Korean War, during which Royal Marines of 41 independent commandos saw action as far north as Lake Chosen and carried out amphibious raids behind North Korean lines between 1950 and 51. Now the Green Braves have returned to Korean shores and are working with partners again during exercise involving 28,000 Korean, U.S. sailors and Marines, 30 warships, 70 aircraft, and 50 amphibious assault vehicles. The training, known as Exercise Sangyong, was the largest amphibious activity for five years and took place near Pohong, a port city on the southeastern coast of the Republic of Korea, around 160 miles from the capital of Seoul. Commandos operate as part of a combined surveillance team helping exercise commanders make crucial operational decisions through reconnaissance actions ashore and directing strikes onto targets. They also prove some of their new technology, including combat, combat, compact solar panels for charging tactical systems and carried out integration training to develop their ability to operate as part of a combined force on the Korean Peninsula, learning how to operate and sharing expertise.
Of course, we have a good quote here from Major Sandefore, commander of command of the commando forces on the exercises. He said the deployment has provided a fantastic opportunity to further the Royal Marines partnerships with the Republic of Korea Marine Corps and the United States Marine Corps. To the elements of Bravo Company embedded with both really has been a privilege. Regional security in the Indo-Pacific matters to all of us, including the UK, and this deployment of commando forces has provided an opportunity to reaffirm our shared values with two key regional allies. Ultimately, Royal Marines must be ready to deploy, sustain, and fight anywhere in the world alongside our allies and partners, added Major Sandiford. Tell you what, every time we read a quote from these UK soldiers or Marines, it's always well thought. They have a good way with words. All right, is there another UK story? While we're on the UK, we might as well do this one. I think it's from the UK Ministry of Defense. I couldn't find a source for it. Or if I did, I didn't write it down. Uh, DES ordered Carl G., Carl Gustav, M4 weapons for British Army. I could have tied this to the story where we mentioned Sweden, because we know Sweden makes the Carl Gustav. It's a great anti-tank weapon. The United States uses it, and the UK uses it. Older story, 30 March. I don't know how I missed it. Uh, DENS, I think that's a, I should know what that is. I think we've talked about them before. I think that's like the assaultee for the Army. Anyway, they has procured a new multi-role weapon system to equip the British Army on operations. Uh, 4.6 million pound order has been placed with Saab for a delivery of Carl Gustav M4s plus a package of ammunition and training. They will replace the anti-structure munitions the UK has sent to support Ukraine against the Russian invasion last year. Carl Gustav recordless rifles a multi-role weapon system that allows dismounted soldiers to effectively deal with multiple challenges and targets on the modern battlefield. It can fire a range of 84 caliber munitions for various operational objectives. Uh, there's a statement here from British Army Director of Futures, Major General James Bowder, and he says, the procurement of Carl G. MK4 will provide a versatile, potent, and proven capability to our close combat forces. It will defeat a range of targets on the modern battlefield, further enhancing our lethality. Uh, the Carl Gustav was first adopted by the Army toward the end of 1960s in its M2 variant, referred to in the UK as Mark II, as an infantry anti-tank capability. Uh, here's a quote from Saab, UK, a guy named Dan Rosenfield. He says, our strong relationship with the British Army is built upon delivering proven capabilities that will help them to meet the needs they face. And the Carl Gustav M4, like the in-law, is in prime position to do this. I think uh, the in-law is also made by Saab, which is a great weapon. So I killed, uh, what am I doing on time here? 23 minutes. How am I doing on, I'm kind of out of order on my paper here. <laughs> I, I had it in a good order, but I kind of tra- uh, changed horses in midstream. Let me pause right here, see if I can get back on track. Stand by. Okay, back off pause. i got two stories left, one from France, one from Canada. Um, Defense News from 4 April. Defense News, uh, Macron, Macron sends $438 billion military budget plan to French Parliament. 
So this is a military budget from France, uh, from Vienna Machi. And how long is this article? Not too bad. A lot of details in this article. I try to do, do my best on it. Uh, France's government is pouring hundreds of billions of euros into shoring up its military apparatus via new military programming law, which, if enacted, would support new capability efforts and ongoing programs to the end of the decade. Officials unveiled the proposed 2024 to 2030 military programming law on 4 April, ahead of presenting it to France's legislative bodies. The five-year programming law has been in development since spring of 22 and was honed during top-level meetings with the French President Emmanuel Macron, Prime Minister Elizabeth Bourne, and Defense Minister Sebastian Lecornu. Uh, this is from uh, Army Colonel Jan Latil, Director of the Ministry's Strategic Capability Cell. In January, President Macron first announced that the LPM, that's what they call this thing, uh, military pro programming law. So in France, that would be law programming military. I mean, I don't know. I don't speak French, but you get the idea. So when I say LPM, that's what I'm talking about. So in January, France, Macron first announced the LPM would include 435 billion investments and cover a total of 450 billion in military needs. Um, The ministry plans to request an additional 1.5 billion euro. Sorry, I'm doing this. I'm going from U.S. dollars to euro. Maybe I should have stuck with euro. Let me read that paragraph before so I don't mess everybody up. So in January, Macron first announced the LPM would include 400 billion in euro in investments and cover a total of 413 billion euro in military needs. The ministry plans to increase the request an additional 1.5 billion in euro to be added to the 2023 defense budget bringing it from 43.9 billion euro to about 45.4 billion euro the annual budgets will then increase year by year by at least 3 billion euro through 2030 specifically the budget will increase 3.1 billion and this is all in euro in 2024 3 billion euro in 25 26 and 27 and 4.3 billion euro in 28 29 and 30 by 2030, France's annual defense budget is expected to top 60 billion euro, nearly double the amount allocated in 2017, which was 32 billion euro. Damn. Um, let's see what they're going to get with their money. Over the course of the next five years, the French military is both continuing its ongoing capability reboots and launching new initiatives. And here are some of them. The de development of the nation's next-generation aircraft carrier, uh, dubbed PANG for the French Port Avion Nouvelle Generation. New generation again. <laughs> New generation, next generation. Everybody's got it. Uh, it will kick into high gear with plans to put the Naval Group-built carrier into sea in 2020, I'm sorry, 2036 to 2037 and begin trials from 2037 to 38. Also in the maritime domain, France is scheduled to receive 15 new frigates by 2030. Uh, France's Air Force will see the entry of the MBDA-developed renovated medium-range air-to-surface missile during this budget cycle, as well as development of its expected successor, the fourth-generation fourth generation nuclear air-to-ground hypersonic cruise missile. 
Paris will continue its timeline to achieve an all-Raphael Rafale air fleet by 2035 and expect to procure 32 new jets from contractor Dassault Aviation, which will be delivered between 2030 and 32. Uh, the future combat air system, next generation fighter and weapon program in development by France, Spain, and Germany should see its first fighter demonstrator come to fruition under this LPM in 2027. Let's get to some land stuff here. The French military will also continue to modernize its land forces via the Scorpion overhaul program of its ground vehicles and associated equipment. Studies on the design for the next Franco-German main ground system, combat system, or next generation tank will continue in this time period. And then we'll get to the Navy stuff here, more Navy stuff. While undersea warfare has become a major topic in France since the former defense minister released the first undersea strategy in 22, ministry officials could not provide a fixed number of investments in the domain, only saying there will be hundreds of millions in euros and include investments in underwater sea drones that can reach 6,000 meters of depth and other types of undersea and subsea remotely operated vehicles and upgrades to anti-mine vessels. And then here's some more investments in a report. Five billion, this is all Euro, five billion for intelligence and counterintelligence efforts, 13 billion for overseas capabilities and initiatives, five billion for drones to include unmanned systems and remotely operated munitions, as well as the development of a Euro drone, medium altitude, long endurance UAV, and development by Airbus for France, Spain, and Germany. Uh, 5 billion for surface-to-air defense capabilities, 16 billion for munitions, including modernization of long-range anti-ship missiles. Where have we heard that before? 10 billion for innovative technology investments to include directed energy, swarming drones, and robotic capabilities. Where have we heard that before? 6 billion for space domain and 4 billion for cyber defense. The French administration hopes the LPM will be voted on by Congress before the 14th of July holiday period. That was a nice article right there. I like that one. Um, last story. What's this one? This is about Canada. I've been trying to do more can, uh, Canada stories, if you haven't noticed, and Australia. Australia, New Zealand, all that stuff out in the Pacific. We always seem to have a good Pacific story. Uh, we had two of them this episode, so here we go. This is a Canada story from Defense News. David Puglisi, 6 April. Defense News, Canada ups Arctic surveillance capabilities to protect North America. So if you follow this show, this is me talking, it's not the article. You know, you got three, a lot of stuff happening out in the Pacific, a lot of stuff in Europe, obviously. And the Arctic, we do a lot of Arctic stories, if you haven't noticed. A lot of them. What's one region that we're not doing a lot of stories on? Or if we, not too many stories on. But it's been captured the focus of the last, I don't know, 30 years? That's the Middle East. We haven't done much in the CENTCOM uh, AOR, have we? Not as much as Europe, Indo-Pacific, and... Um, Arctic. Anyway, I'll just it just kind of hit me. 
Last story, 31 minutes, doing too good, D- doing pretty good. So here we go, Defense News, Canada ups Arctic surveillance capabilities to protect North America, 6 April. Get right to the article here. So the so-called Arctic, real quick, there are four things this article is going to talk about. One, two, yeah, there's four things. So I'll try to, I'll try to point them out as I go through. It's not a long article. Uh, so here we go. I'll read the, article, the title one more time. Canada ups Arctic surveillance capabilities to protect North America. So here we go. The so-called Arctic over-the-horizon radar would be established in the southern portion of the province of Ontario and provide long-range detection of incoming threats approaching Alaska. Huh. The system would be part of the Canadian gov- what the Canadian government is calling a layered approach to keep watch over the northern approaches of the continent. Uh, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced the system on 24 March during a visit to Ottawa by the U.S. President Joe Biden. As many as four sites could be needed for the system's transmitters and receivers. Uh, Canada's Department of National Defense is currently assessing locations in the province bordering American states of Minnesota, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and New York. Initial operating capability for the Arctic over-the-horizon radar is set for 2028, and the FOC is 2031, of course, full operating capability. Uh, the radar would provide long-range surveillance of northern approaches to the major population centers of North America by establishing a northward-aimed high-frequency over-the-horizon radar system in southern Canada. The preliminary cost estimate for the system is $743 million U.S. dollars. 743. The second, okay, that's the first system. Here's second system. Second system to be built is the polar over the horizon radar. Would also be an early warning radar coverage over the Arctic, but that system would be located in the high Arctic at a site still undetermined. Here's a third project. A third project called Crossbow is a complementary but classified network of sensors that would be distributed across northern Canada. It's expected that Crossbow will be operating around 2029 or 2030, the development of crossbows taking place in conjunction with the U.S. military. The Department of Defense declined, or the Department of National Defense declined to provide additional details citing the classified nature of the project. And here's the fourth one. The fourth uh, portion of the layer defense involves a space-based capability. Canada will develop a new space-based system to replace the surveillance satellites of the current radar stat constellation mission as well as other surveillance related spacecraft now operating the new syst- the new project called defense enhanced surveillance from space will include a space based synthetic aperture radar and an automatic identification system for maritime tracking that new space system won't be available until 2035 according to the Canadian government and there you go that's their uh, Layered system one through four. That's a good article too. Who wrote that? David Puglisi. Good article. Last two articles are very well written. I like them. All right, that's it, man. One, two, three. We do eight stories. Something like that. Eight stories, thirty-five minutes. So, first episode of the new year for us, basically. So that's it. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thirty-five minutes, kind of one of our shorter episodes. Um. Episode 112 in the books. Thank you very much for listening and good night.